So we got a lot to cover this morning, obviously. Uh, they're going to wrap up our uh, quick conversation, a little bit of history on Israel, and then we're going to move into the subject of apostasy. I'm not going to go into great detail on the subject, but I think we're going to cover some stuff that will help kind of as a reminder. I spent uh, eight weeks on that subject, spiritual warfare and apostasy, so I really don't really want to go into great detail again, but um, for our sakes, we'll get a good refresh, refresher this morning. This is just uh, an enlarged version of last week and regarding dispensation. I, I probably should go over here based on that camera, I'm not sure. But um, this is an expanded version of the tribulation. Uh, it's good to be saved. How many believe that? Amen. But we're, we're living in some exciting times. I mean, we're getting to see, we're looking back at God uh, allowing us to see prophecy unfold in the last days. And with Israel back in the land in 1948 is clearly an example of God preparing the world for what's coming. And by the way, you don't want to miss next week, we're going to be talking about technology and its role in, in prophecy and how it perhaps will um, have something to do with the mark of the beast. But nevertheless, 1948 timeline, this is the end of the conclusion of the church age dispensation. You have the rapture of the church, all the church age saints are uh, raptured up to be with Christ, and then you have the beginning of what is known as Daniel's 70th week. This is a seven-year period split into two. Three and a half years, three and a half years. Total chaos will probably exist as a result of the rapture. Uh, a world leader will rise to bring some kind of sanity and some peace to the uh, chaos that exists. This individual, known as the man of sin, is a world leader, will sign a peace treaty for, with Israel back in their land, of course, and that peace treaty will guarantee or ensure uh, their safety. And they have, in Isaiah 28, 15, it talks about uh, that's a covenant they've made with hell and with death because his words were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. Three and a half years transpires the Antichrist, uh, which becomes the son of perdition, which is the full embodiment of Satan as a world leader. At this time, God will send a strong delusion upon the world that they will believe the lie. Because they rejected the truth, God's going to send them a strong delusion. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he tells about this, this strong delusion. They'll believe the lie. They will receive this individual as the Messiah, the false Messiah. This individual will, will enter in to the rebuilt temple where the Jews will be sacrificing. We show, I showed you pictures of that last week where the potential site will be for these Jews and the Jews, the Zionists that are believers of the rebuilt temple. When, they, when he enters into that temple, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4, 5, 6, as well as in Matthew chapter 24, the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place. That's the Antichrist standing in the rebuilt temple. When that happens, all hell is going to break loose on this world, on this earth. The vials of, of judgment will be poured out in this last three and a half years. He breaks that peace treaty. Israel has to flee from their land. And at the end of that three and a half year period, Israel will be restored, will be saved, will receive Christ as their Messiah. And Christ will return as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he'll set up his throne as king in Jerusalem. So that's basically kind of a 
the purpose behind Israel being back in their land. So we are, how many people read this but never saw it transpire? And we're looking back and watching God do His work here, protecting Israel and preparing them for that time frame, that period of time known as Daniel's 70th week. So with that said, well, with that said, well, here we go. Sorry about that. Am I going backwards? Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. So let's consider their history for just a moment as they were established as a state. If you go back and read the Old Testament, take the wilderness. When they came out of the wilderness and they were placed in the promised land, it wasn't all hunky-dory. They had to, for 40 years they spent in the wilderness, but they were ill-prepared for war. But yet they went into a land where they were going to have to be warriors and soldiers and have to fight battles to re retain the land or to gain the land and retain it. it and you, throughout Scripture you read God's hand in the Old Testament in favor of Israel, protecting them, giving them victory over the battles. Many times they were not prepared, nor could they have ever defeated the enemy, but God intervened on their behalf every time. Why would we think that's any different today? Now, the Bible says in Romans 11 that they are enemies for the gospel's sake. They are your enemies and our enemies for the gospel's sake, but the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God has His hand on Israel whether we understand that or not. They may be rejecting Him. They may not want anything to do with them. They're as liberal as any liberal can be. And yet God still gives them His favor. How do you explain that? Well, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God is going to fulfill His promise to Israel. That is His wife. Just as the church is the bride for Christ, Israel is the wife of God the Father. So, God's providential hand is seen throughout history. If you go back and study Israel's, uh, just their gathering and their, their permanency in the land of Israel in 1948, it's clearly God was involved. He promised, He fulfilled His, He's fulfilling His covenant, the future of Israel. There was a 15-month conflict that followed uh, Israel. They were surrounded by enemies that outnumbered them 10 to 1, and yet they still became a nation. So we see the conflicts of the Six-Day War. This is a, we'll talk a little bit about this, the miraculous Six-Day War, where Israel could have been totally annihilated, and yet God intervened, and they were victorious and secured all this land that they still hold today. Then you take the Yom Kippur War in 73, that almost devastated. They almost lost that war. They were caught off guard just like recently. They were almost destroyed. But God once again intervened on their behalf to protect them. They're still in their land. They're still a nation. And of course, we have the present day conflict. And I believe God will continue to place His protective hand on them. It may not go well for them, but nevertheless, they'll remain in the land. So none of this will deter God's plan for Israel. So this is a picture that I took as I was standing out overlooking this land. This is the north uh, corridor of Israel. And in the background, you can barely see it, there's a mountainous region. It's surrounded by the mountains. If you go through the Golan Heights and you go up into the north, this is Tel Dan. And you look to the left is uh, Lebanon. To the right would be Syria. And then Jordan would be south of that. 
This entire mountainous region is covered with communities that are full of Hezbollah. Hezbollah, right? Hezbollah? Hezbollah. These are Islamic jihadists. Now, there's about 150 of these communities. Their entire mission is to annihilate Israel. They wake up day and they go to bed at night thinking how they can destroy Israel. They're backed by the Iranians. Now, not all Iranians are for destroying Israel, but these people are. These Islamic jihadists known as Hezbollah. Now, you remember, they, they, sh they were a prominent figure when this war started recently. You remember that? They were going to get involved. Do you know why they didn't get involved? Because they know better. Because once they get involved, Israel will take them out with no problem. And then Iran will get involved, U.S. will get involved, and this will turn into a really ugly situation. This is why U.S. is protecting Israel right now, because they're worried about what could happen here. So they're constantly surrounded by their enemies, and yet they're still here. Why? Because God hand protects them. How many of you know, how many realize every day God's hand protects you? How many times has he protected you? How many times has he intervened for you? Whether it's an illness or it's a car, potential car accident or something with your family, God is for us. Now, it's hard to believe he'd be for Israel despite the fact they reject him, but he is. And so when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking God's protective hand all over Israel. That's where that picture was taken, Lebanon, Syria. Not too far from that, 20 miles was a place called Damascus. Sound familiar? Paul was converted on the what? The road to Damascus. So that is a picture from the mountainous region where they had the battle, they had their like fort set up, looking into the valley, and in the background was Damascus, or Syria, Damascus, Syria. And uh, the history behind this, this piece of land right here is in the Yom Kippur War, 1973, Israel was caught off guard, and they were in a serious situation where they were outnumbered by their enemies, out-tanked, out in every way they were flanked. And they were sitting on this hill, and they had a captain or a commander that called on them to give their lives for Israel. Now, they, they know this and understand whatever it takes to win or, or to defeat the enemy. They have that mindset. And this is known as the Valley of Tears. They went into that land outnumbered 10 to 1. So their tank, they go in there with these, in, these tanks that they have are better than the enemies. They can fire better. They can move faster. But in my opinion, that's irrelevant. Just because they had better equipment doesn't mean they'll be able to defeat the enemy, especially outnumbered 10 to 1. But they had a commander there that said, we're going down and we're going to fight. And if you don't want to fight, that's okay. You're nothing but a chicken, but I'm going in. That's what he called all his, his soldiers, chickens. And when he said that, it stirred the pot. And they all decided, well, we can't be called chickens. We can't go down and defeat. We'll just give our lives for Israel. They went down into that valley, known as the Valley of Tears, and defeated the enemy. Now, do you think they truly defeated the enemy, or did God defeat it for him? So it's a lot of history, rich in history of God intervening on their behalf. Had they not secured that land, they would have entered into the northern end of Israel, secured Golan Heights, and who knows what would have had happened after that. This is an article that, and you can see any kind of news article about 
Israel's victory from the 1967 war. A six-day war started on June 5th, ended on June 10th, I believe, right around that time, exactly six days. And uh, Israel, okay, so a little history here. So Nassar, the president of Egypt, aligned with um, Syria to go ahead and their very mission was to annihilate Israel. This is what they wanted to do. Somehow a Russian-Soviet ambassador gave them a tip, Israel a tip, that they're about to go to war. They're going to be destroyed. Israel got ahead of them and destroyed all of the military bases and the what would be the equivalent of their air force, the enemy's air force, it took out all their jets, their military bases, and as a result, crippled the enemy. So now they couldn't attack like they wanted to, so they aligned with the king of Jordan, Hussein was young at the time, and they wanted. he said, go in and just take Jerusalem. Well, that didn't happen either. He was defeated, and not only did Israel defeat them and keep them from taking uh, Jerusalem, but they captured Judea, Samaria, the West Bank, uh, J- Gaza, and the Golan Heights. All that was taken, and there's a picture of it, in the 1967 war, plus the Sinai Peninsula. So you can see God had his hand, even though they would have been annihilated had they not been told ahead of time. You think God was involved in this? Why? Because God said to all of us, he's going to put them back in the land, they'll never be pulled up out of that land, and he's going to one day bring them to salvation. So the Sinai Peninsula has been given back to Egypt. All the other properties, this is what they're fighting about today, Gaza. They say that, you know, they are occupied. They, they own that land. That's their land, and they let others uh, dwell there. Their enemies dwell there, but they let them. So tremendous history, quick history lesson on Israel and God's protective hand. So I'm going to move on from there and go on to the subject now of apostasy. Um, this stuff wears me out a little bit, should wear you out. It's not a, it's not a real positive subject, but it's something we got to talk about because it's, it's very relevant to the last days. Israel's a leading character and a, a leading role in prophecy, but so is the subject of apostasy. And I'll show you why here in a few minutes. We're to discern the signs of the times. We would be hard-pressed as Bible believers to deny the fact that the world is entered into apostasy, which is basically an abandonment of truth, a moving away from the truth. And that's exactly what you're seeing today. And God still has a remnant of people that will believe Him for what He said. If you ever read in Job chapter 26, I believe you'll... These are the questions you'll hear at the judgment seat of Christ. And one of them is, did you declare the thing as it is? The Word of God is not for us to interpret privately. It's there as it is. And do we declare it as it is? And people have moved away because they don't agree with God. They just cannot phantom and understand God, so they move away. And that is known as apostasy. That's really the definition of apostasy. By the way, the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work or your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's telling us that we can be moved. 
unmovable. He's telling them, don't be moved. Be steadfast in what you do. So as Christians, do Christians move away from the truth? How many of you know somebody who once lived for Christ that doesn't live for Christ anymore? How many in here? That's a, that's a cry and shame. But that's apostasy. Now, there are apostates that profess Christ, that don't have Christ. So they play the game. They look like it, act like it, talk like it, but they're not anything close to a real, true, Bible-believing, regenerated Christian. But there are Christians, like you and I in here, that can be moved away from truth. Did you know that? Don't ever assume, anybody here, assume you can't be moved. I know many of you are up there in age. I'm, I'm getting older by the day. And I see to myself, I say to myself, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been trying to be faithful to God. You know what my prayer is? God, help me to finish well. Because I recognize I have the potential not to finish well for God. I recognize that I have, I have the same sins and infirmities that, like my next fellow man, and that I am capable of moving away from God and just quitting on God. And the Bible says, don't be moved, be unmovable, because apostasy is a moving away from the truth. And it happens. You all just raised your hand. Somebody you know has moved and fallen into apostasy. Now, this is definitely accelerating in the last days. Would you, would you agree with that? It's hard to deny that. So, when we look at 2 Thessalonians, we're told very clearly, let no man deceive you, for that day which is the day of Christ, which is the second advent and the, the, the return of Christ, except there be, what? A falling away first. So Israel's in the land, and there's a falling away first. So you should see that. The people that say all apostasy's always been around, that's true, but it's going to accelerate in the last days. There's going to be fewer and fewer who will believe God for what He said. And as a result of that, things like Israel in their land is hidden to them. They can't see it. God's hid it from them. And it says the man of sin will be revealed. There's that after the rapture, the son of perdition. There's the Antichrist. And the Bible clearly defines falling away as a departure, a defection, abandonment from the truth. And that's unfortunate, but it's happening everywhere. And I'll talk a little bit about this. Jesus' own words said the parable, He spoke unto His disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Now that's not a positive thing. Leaven here is not considered. Leaven we know is, is, a, is a type of sin. You put it in the bread and the bread uh, expands like yeast, right? But He's saying it's like unto leaven. Now in this context, He's talking about false doctrine, false teachers, false, anything false opposed to truth. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto false doctrine, which a woman took, and notice, she hid it. It was done subtly. It was done secretly. It was done quiet. It happens. The process of apostasy can start even within a body of believers that are solid with the Word of God. It just takes a couple people to say, well, we need to change this, and we need to change that, and maybe God didn't say this, or God didn't say that. And somebody new and young gets up and has just been talked out of their Bible and their belief in the Bible, and they enter into the church, and all of a sudden, they got a new idea and a new concept and a new way, and before you know it, they've moved away from the truth, the foundations they were given. And, the, and then you got God's people that follow them. Ah, we need to be more relevant. We need to be more relevant. How many times are we going to hear we got to be more culturally relevant? 
We don't need to be culturally relevant. We need to be obedient to God's Word, whether it's popular or not. Amen. And Brother Butt, you've seen it. How many preachers I talk to is like, yeah, or folks that go back home and said, my church moved left. It moved, how many have seen their church move left? I'm seeing it, watching it unfold. What, what's happening here? Apostasies accelerating in the last days. Now, let's put this in a very practical perspective. Let's not let that happen here by the grace of God. Whether it's popular or not, let's stick to the book and the literacy of the book and let's just do what God tells us no matter what it costs us. Steadfast, unmovable. Because the whole was leavened. The whole thing is affected. Christianity is a mess today. Unfortunately. Because there's a lot of false ones out there. The Bible tells us for the time will come when they will not inter doubt sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers. There's just going to be a mountain pile of teachers. They have itching ears. Basically this is saying, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear as long as you scratch my back. Now, this is, this is cultural relevant. This is accommodation to each of you in here that's based on cultural relevancy. If we think gender identities, uh, that God's okay with that, then we, we can neutralize gender, and then we can say, we can t start teaching that it's okay to be whatever you need to be. God loves you anyways. Now, would that be what God lines up with? It's sad to say that's happening, but that's cultural relevancy. I'm accommodating what you, the people, the population wants. They want to hear it. They don't want the pressure. They don't want to be outcast or outliers, so they just go with the flow. And there's tons of those teachers out there, and they make me sick, by the way. I don't know about you, but I'm sure they do. When you, they drip with this, these, these words that are just so subtle, and yet they're so far from God's truth. And yet they're, they're packing stadiums with people. That doesn't make it right. Well, God has never, He's always worked with a remnant. Now that doesn't mean God can't do great things, mighty things like that. I'm not saying He doesn't. He does, and He will again. But reality is, don't get caught up and fooled from that kind of stuff. Because they're going to turn their ears away from the truth. I'll prove this to you at the end of this, the conclusion of this study. And they turn their, this stuff, God's Word, into fables. When, I, when somebody gets up and says, well, there wasn't a literal whale or big fish that swallowed Jonah. Run! When they say that it's not six days, it's not literal, Run! When, when, the, when, when Moses crossed the Red Sea, it was only two feet. It's the Sea of Reeds. Run! Because if Jesus said, if you believe not in Moses, how shall you believe me? He believed the literal creation. He believed the literacy of the Bible. He taught it. And there's, you know, it's a, here's an interesting, the leader of the fastest growing church in America. I'm not even going to name it. You'll, you might figure this out recently made a comment. He said, this is an example, he said that globally that Christians need to be unhitched from the Old Testament. He said if Peter, James, and John uh, were, were teaching their disciples to be unhitched from the Jewish uh, scriptures, then my friends, we might as be unhitched as well. That was his quote. 
Now, what, how, he inter- how we interpret that, but when I hear someone be unhitched, that means I don't believe everything in the Old Testament. It's a lot of it's allegorical, so we really can't rely on it. We need to stick to the New Testament and place less emphasis on the Old Testament. If anybody ever teaches you that there's less emphasis on the Old Testament, run! You're getting the hint, right? You can't, those kind of people are a dime a dozen. And I know somebody who went to that fellow's church, and he told me one day, came back, he said the guy told him how many things in the Old Testament can't be relied upon because they're, they're kind of allegorical in nature. They're trying to teach a, some kind of story, but they're not literal. How, how in the world would a world leader, a leader that has that much influence, want to place doubt on the Old Testament? That's not from God. You know why people want to accommodate versus proclamate the truth? Because they know the Word of God cuts. It hurts. It offends. How many times have you been offended by the Word of God? I'm sure I've offended many people saying things that I don't mean to say or be intent with my being offensive, but the Word of God can be offensive. Pastor will get up there and step all over your toes in preaching the Word of God. He doesn't have you in mind. The Holy Spirit has you in mind. And he's stepping on your toes because he's cutting you to fix you. <laughs> he's helping. And today, we want to we wanna kind of like smooth over sin and not, not offend anybody. But then we fill a church full of sin, which I, I get that. We're all sinners. But we fill it, and we don't do anything about it. The Grace Awakening movement is, you know, you know just do whatever you want. You know, as long as you love God, and you do a few things for God. That, that's not God's way. Professing Christianity, here's the apostate church. Many will say in many that day, Lord, Lord. What, now notice this. Have we not preached in thy name? In thy name cast out devils. Wow, they even have power to cast out devils. And in thy da- name did many wonderful works. So the, the likes of Benny Hinn and all those health, wealth, and prosperity type preachers that can cast out devils. Well, the Bible says they do it in his name. Jesus says, I never knew you. That's an, that's, this is apostate Christianity. This is the professing Christianity, a dime a dozen, everybody's a believer. You knock on the door, yeah, 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 everybody, but no one goes to church, no one reads their Bible, no one prays, no one tries to live a holy life. So how do you identify those individuals? Well, if they, they hear those sayings of mine and doeth them not, they're a foolish man. You know what a foolish man is? A fool has said there is no God. So basically, they... They say it in word, but deny it in their hearts. Uh, I'm going to skip through this a little quick, but I want you to notice the use of the word many. Words, many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. For we are not many which corrupt the word of God. And then Peter speaking in the last days are false prophets among the people, and even as there will be false teachers among you, who privately, that's the woman who hid the leaven in the meal, and it, it affected the whole whole meal. They privately bring in these damnable heresies. And the Bible says, unfortunately, many shall follow their deceptive ways, pernicious uh, ways. So apostates are counted as many, not the few. There are three lenses for us to look at. I'm going to share something here with you. Oh, man. This can't be. We, we, we haven't, we just started. So, three lenses. Um, I'm going to go back and 
maybe share this with you at another time. Um, but there's three lenses. There's a moral apostasy. We know the unregenerate world. This is they live this. This is this is who they are. This is what they do. The people that don't aren't born again, don't know Christ, don't know the scriptures. This is natural to them. By the way, this is natural to us. This is without the Holy Spirit, without the Word of God. This is how we act. We're no different, except for we have God help us to not be this kind of people who are in morally corrupt and apostate. So in the last days, these dangerous times will come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. You can thank uh, self, uh, social media that's helped accelerate that. Self-love is really more damaging than we realize today based on what social media is doing. I've talked so much about that. Notice they're without natural affection. So we talk about abortion, right? A, a, a people who can have an abortion. And it's no big deal. They move on, have the next child, abort it. It's, that's somebody without not, natural affection. Now, there are a lot of people that would not necessarily have an abortion, but don't really care if others have abortions. So, I pulled up this Gallup poll, right, on abortions. It's shocking. The amount of people that claim to be Christians believe in abortion. Now, how in the world can you believe the God of life is for death? I don't know. It does it seems like a contradiction to me. 53% of the Catholics believe in abortion. 30% of evangelical Protestants. 65% of mainline Protestants believe in abortion. 55% of Orthodox Christians believe in abortion. Surprising, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons are the lowest of all people, groups of people who believe abortion's legal or should be legal or right. Tell me that's not apostasy and moral. I mean, it's one thing to say I wouldn't have an abortion, but I don't care if you do. Well, that's not, that's not coming from the Spirit of God. So, and then, of course, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Certainly, we are just, we're being pulled in all the time to, to, to seek pleasures of our own, but the pleasures of sin are for a season. And that's what the Bible teaches, but, let, but we live in a society that's lovers of pleasure. Do you think that's talking about God's people there? I, I'd say, well, probably, yeah. God's people are living this or professing Christianity. Why do I know that? Because the context. Look at the context. Having a form of godliness is in the context of those that live that, those sins. Having a form of godliness. So outwardly, Lord, Lord, we go to church, we maybe read our Bible or something, but they have a form of it, but they deny the power thereof. And Paul says, from such turn away. Outwardly they appear righteous, but inwardly they are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. The second lens of apostasy is theological. The Bible tells us that in the latter times, that some, there it is, shall depart. That is, they'll move away from the truth, from the faith. That's apostasy. And what, how so? They will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Here's a list. Denial of the Trinity. Ordination and acceptance of a homosexuality in the church. I didn't think this would ever be a matter of, of debate, discussion, but here it is. 
This is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America decided to undertake its first major study on whether to endorse the morality of homosexual relationships. They want to send a clear message that we're a welcoming church in our clergy, our leadership, as well as our pews. Now, folks, if someone's gay and they come to our church, we're absolutely going to love on them. I hope you feel that way. We're not going to single them out. We're going to and pray they get saved, and we're going to help them. That's what we do. That's what Christ would have done. But we're not going to sit there and say, it's okay to live in your sin. Because it's destroying them, and it's going to destroy everybody around them. The church allows homosexual clergy if they practice celibacy. What? What? Wait, like you can be in leadership, be hom homosexual, but you can't practice it. Okay, I'm, I'm missing something there, man. That's evangelical Lutherans. Um, the, the list goes on, so I'm just going through this quickly. In a closely watched highest court of the Presbyterian Church, they refused to rule on whether a homosexual man is eligible to serve as a church elder. This shouldn't even be debated within the church. The United Methodist Church said the Supreme Court of the United Methodist Church, there's your first problem, was asked Thursday to reconsider the denomination's ban on gay leadership, clergy. It just goes on and on and on and on. So again, these are doctrines of devils, and they're widespread within the body or the, the professing Christianity. It's no wonder the world looks at us and goes, man, I don't want anything to do with you. It, it doesn't make sense to them. They know something's wrong with that. They know it. Old Testament are allegorical. Hey, creation through evolution. Grace and sin coexist. That is making sin comfortable. It's no big deal. Don't talk about it. You know what? It's not so much about preaching on sin. That's important. But it's not. It's when you avoid preaching on sin. That's more subtle and dangerous. That's what a lot of churches do today because they don't want to lose their congregation. Denying a literal hell. Women as pastors. Don't get me started. And music is neutral. As long as you stamp it Christian, it's acceptable. That's unfortunate. So these are the lenses. I'm going to close out. Oh, man, I, I'm way over time. I'm going to get in so much trouble here. All right. 1980, 60% of Americans rejected the Bible as literal. So 40% received it. 1976, 76% of Americans rejected the Bible. See it growing? Today, 80% of Americans re reject the Bible as literal. I'm going to stop there because there's more statistics. What I'm trying to convey here, as we accelerate in the last days, apostasy, that's exactly what you should see. People not taking God's word literally for what he said. They just say, I don't want it. It's not real. It's a bunch of fables. And by the way, the belief that the Bible's full of fables has gone from the teens to an all-time high this year to 30%. So 30% of Americans believe the book you hold in your hand is full of fables. God help us. But may we be a people who are steadfast, unmovable, and will finish well for the glory of Jesus Christ. So next week, artificial intelligence, technology, I think you'll find it quite fascinating how the world is preparing for what is to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God this morning. Help encourage us in some way that in the despite the darkness in these times, help us to be the light 
and to give glory and honor to Jesus Christ. May you bless every aspect of our service for your glory, we pray, as Christ we seek to be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.